your host, Jake Weaver. Engineered by Cedric Swan. I'm in Portland, Oregon, at one of Portland's most beautiful parks. It's a wonderful day. It's blue skies outside, and I'm setting up a social distortion field so I can be safe for my wonderful guest, the herbalist, the owner of the company Vital Force Herbs. Her name is Bryn Anderson. Hello, Bryn. Hi. How's it going? So we're here on this podcast today, on this beautiful day in Portland, Oregon, to talk about something that grows pretty fe- freely in the Northwest, herbs. I mean, you, would, would you say that herbs themselves do really well in the fertile Northwest soil? I would definitely say so. I would say that uh, herbs love the Northwest. They love the rain. They love uh, the company of each other. Yeah, I would say so. So you you feel like in other parts of the country, they don't grow as well here in the Northwest, here in Oregon, they actually grow a little bit better. I would say there are herbs that are very at home in the Northwest that would not care to grow elsewhere, just as there are herbs elsewhere that would not care to grow here. However, here I find them to be growing up against each other until there isn't any space in between. Whereas when you're in the desert of the mountains, there's more space and things are more spread out. Things are more hardy with less water. So we're here to talk about herbalism today. And for those of you out there that are wondering kind of what we're talking about, yes, they're the herbs that go in your food. Of course, they're cooking herbs, but we're here talking about wonderful medicinal herbs. Hey, not just marijuana. That's not Bryn's thing. Well, I don't know if it is or not, but what I do know that she has a company called Vinyl Forced Herbs, and we're talking about the medicinal herbs that have almost magical powers in their way that they can heal the human body. I've been a proponent of herbal medicines for a really long time. I've used tinctures to treat multiple illnesses and various ailments I've experienced over the years, and I'm all for it. I feel like it's highly beneficial to supplement your you know medicinal situation with herbal medicines and i'm going to let bryn talk about this a little bit more so tell me a little bit more about the concept of herbal medicine all right um thanks for having me today by the way um herbal medicine so yes the herbs that you cook with and the herbs that are used for medicine are one and the same. All herbs are medicinal in some form or another. Um, herbs work on a completely different level than other forms of medicines, especially in our uh, modern society. They work with the body and they work to find the root of disease or disharmony within the body and um, to correct the imbalances. So rather than putting a Band-Aid on something or saying, I have a headache, I would just want to stop this headache, it's looking to what is the root of that headache. And um, Wait, did you say the root of that headache? The root <laughs> of that headache, yes. 
Well, the thing is, it, uh, common sense would tell us that natural medicine has been the primary practice medicine throughout human history. The chemical medicine, the modern scientific medicine that we have in the 19th, 20th, 21st centuries is a little bit new in the, in the time spectrum as compared to these herbal medicines that have around, you know, since time immemorial. Mm-hmm. So you talk about uh, the history of herbalism. Where are the earliest places where herbal medicine shows itself in human history? Um, as far back as history is available to be <laughs> um, accessed, I suppose. Um, they talk about it in Egyptian history. They talk about it um, all over the world. Really, the Western world is one of the places where herbalism took a break. Um, it's, you know, has been... I think around for as long as plants and people have been interacting. Um, but through, you know, in uh, the 1500s, there was a man named Paracelsus who was an alchemist and herbalist. And he kind of rekindled um, some ideas that I think were probably around, but maybe, you know, had had faded for a bit. And he definitely was a fiery person who had some new ideas that he brought forth. Um, to, you know, sort of stoke the fires of the Western herbal tradition. And Paraclesis, um, we're talking Paracelsus. ancient. Paracelsis. Para, 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 Paracelsis. Paracelsis. Mm-hmm. That, you're, you're talking ancient Greece? Is that the, his era? Where did he arrive from? Um, why do you have to put me on the spot with that? I don't... <laughs> it's okay if you don't know. It's fine. We're I do see, know. Actually, I pre, had... Um, prehistory. Yes, I do know. And yes, I do believe he was in that area. Um, but I don't want to... I don't want to be wrong, so that's why. So I'm, how I'm far back? Know. Ten thousand so, no, years? We're talking, Thirty thousand well, years? Well, he was in the fifteen hundreds. So oh, oh, fifteen hundreds. He was in the fifteen hundreds. So, He's but still, we know that herbal medicine has been practiced for a really long time. We're talking ancient Greece, ancient Egypt. Oh, absolutely. That's yeah. What I was saying. India, our Veda, like uh-huh. that Ayur- would be way before the fifteen hundreds. I was getting to that. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, sorry, I was just kind of leading backwards from our modern Western traditions, but yes. Um, Ayurveda in India, uh, Chinese medicine, Unani Tib in the um, in the Middle East. Herbs are spoken of um, throughout the Bible. Yes, herbs are part of ancient history. I definitely think they're recorded as long as humans have been on Earth. So, why do you think that herbs, plants that grow on the earth, you know, in, in the ground, just like every other plant tree, how are they able to have specific effects on the human body? In so such a direct way, because you hear about these things. Um, for instance, you have a product that's a, that's a liver, liver, I believe it's called Luna's liver lover. It's a liver cleanse. So somehow you were able to distinguish or you were taught from someone else that was able to distinguish somewhere in history mm-hmm. that these specific herbs a specific effect on certain parts of the body so how how is that possible what do you what is the the thinking behind that how how do you think that works i think that works by the herbs communicating with the vital force of the body um i think that there are herbs that have um 
what's the word, more of a communication with parts of the body and affinity. That's the word I was looking for, for different parts of the body than others. There are herbs that will work on all parts of the bodies in different ways. Rosemary is wonderful for the liver. Rosemary is also uh, wonderful um, uh, for brain support. So, but there are certain herbs that, yes, have, I think, a direct um, connection. But how, how is that possible? How is that possible? So through a few different ways, herbs have on a scientific level, they have constituents that work with, you know, the body's molecules and body systems on an energetic level. I think that there's um, a stimulation or a relaxation that happens based on different energetics in the body, based on tone, based on um, hot, dry, wet, cold, all of those kinds of things that... um, are imbalances within the body, which is where disease begins. And so do you think that, sorry to interrupt, but do you think okay. that, <laughs> do you think that there's, it, it, to me, the way I look at it and I see the human body and then I look at the earth, and you see all these herbs that have specific functions in the human body. It definitely indicates to me some sort of intelligent design. So I'm wondering, do you feel like there's some spiritual force that put all these different herbs here that had all these different effects so the human being could maintain this connection? How do you feel about that? With the earth, how do you feel about that? Absolutely. I think that the earth and all of the plants and the humans on it are all part of one organism and they're all designed to communicate and support one another. I think that plants have a direct relationship to humans in their connection to the earth. I think that um, that is really the most natural and um, really simplistic way for humans to maintain their vitality and health is through connecting with not only the plants of the earth, the elements of the earth, the forces of nature that we are a greater part of. It does. Isn't it interesting though, that people don't notice that, Hey, isn't it interesting? We're on this planet and there's these plants and every single one has a specific function for our body. Isn't that a little strange? Like, why don't people <laughs> notice that? Do you, do you think people should notice that more? Why don't, I mean, obviously herbalists notice people that are psychedelic or free thinking or just really open. They've, or they've just been exposed to this information. They, they know it, but like, how do people not notice that? And then from there kind of, you know, and speculate or, you know, kind of figure out in a way that there's distill, that there's this design, there's this some sort of design that's reflective Mm. of the human body. Why don't people notice that? Well, I think it's a few things. I think that we are not taught in our current society that... um, that plants communicate with us. That plant, plants are alive. You keep your house plant alive, but it's a different kind of alive. Yes, it's alive, but not the kind of living being that I and I would say uh, most herbalists would believe that that plants are. That there is that intelligence there, and so I think that humans feel so, and they're brought up to feel separated from that. If they felt connected, if I'm looking at this 
you know, beautiful oak tree right here across from me. And I felt connected to that oak tree as a being and as a source of support, reciprocal support for each other, that it would be natural for me to communicate with that tree and find out, you know, what kind of relationship I have with that tree. And I might learn from that tree that its bark is full of tannins and that it could really help me tonify some tissues. You know, that may, <laughs> that may be something I could learn from that oak. I may learn that it's really great shade around three o'clock in the afternoon. I may, you know, I mean, very various levels. Um, so I think that that's where it starts is our connection to the living world and also our disconnection with our bodies, that our bodies, we need to go see a professional to figure out what's wrong with our arm rather than knowing our arm intimately and knowing when something feels off with our arm and knowing what needs to be adjusted about that arm in order for it to feel balanced again. So you feel like herbs can contribute to some kind of like a intuitive health situation where you're con- so connected with yourself that you're able to distinguish your various ailments on the fly and then you have your herbal toolbox to treat those wounds. Well, I would say that when you start working with herbs, it's a completely different system. Like I used the example before, you aren't going to take something and your headache goes away in 30 minutes. It's a slower process. It's a more dedicated process. And it's a, it's all about noticing and it's all about... Um, observation. So if you have something that's a long-term condition or something that's cyclical, um, then you're going to be working with herbs and your other health practices, such as sleep and nutrition and basic nutrients and your diet and all of these things. And then you're going to notice what makes me feel better? What makes me feel worse? Is it better in the morning? Is it, you know, always at midnight? And those are the kinds of things that you then start, you know, slightly moving and tweaking within yourself to find your balance. And then when you find that balance through that observation of knowing, like, I'm a perfectly capable being, like, I have this, I have a vital force inside of myself, I have the earth as part of myself that's working with me, then I can hop back into balance and the things that throw me off balance then we you know the you know then we move and sway and figure out how to get back into balance it's not just a band-aid or a patch that fixes us right right so you have a company it's called vinyl force herbs and you have an incredible line of various blends that you created yourself and i've noticed that they're also crystal infused which is very rare i feel like it's uh You'll have to tell me about why crystal infusion, what it does. But um, tell me where your interest in herbalism began. So you're at how you have this company now, Vital Force Herbs. Where did it all start? Where, where did your interest in herbs begin? It started in the very beginning as a child um, in my own yard and in the yard of my grandmother's. Um, that was my place to be. That was my wonderland. And that and I feel like plants were always alive and communicating with me from that point on. And I think um, it took a little bit to remember that because I had that that really deep start. Um, my grandmothers and my mother were not herbalists, but they 
loved their gardens and they were very much into the beauty of their gardens, which is a medicine just as much as anything else. Um, and so I learned to appreciate that and that having a garden and having plants around you was an essential part of your emotional and mental health and that that was um, a solace to seek when, you know, things were stressful or um, a place to play and imagine all that. So that that's the that was the so beginning. you were sensitive to it early on. You felt the energy of the plants. You felt you probably couldn't put it into words then, but you felt what you would probably say now is the plant consciousness. You felt this some sort of interaction with the plant consciousness. And you probably felt like, and I know I'm probably, <laughs> you have to tell me if I'm, <laughs> tell me if I'm off course, but uh, it seems like you felt like you were communicating with the plants as if they were like pets or, you know, mice or squirrels that or you would just see. Just friends. In. Yeah. Friends. Sure. Okay. Sure. Just like the squirrels, you know, it's like, hey, Mr. Pete the squirrel. Hey, you know, Rosemary the, you know. Rosemary the Rosemary. Rosemary the Rosemary. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, there was a little oak grove behind my grandmother's house that if I went there now, it was probably not even a half acre of, you know, a couple rows of oak trees. But to me as a small child, it seemed like this huge forest where a deer, a fox could pop out of. Or, I mean, it was it was alive and breathing and definitely influenced me for sure. So then from there, you you know, moved on, you grew up, you became an adult and you found yourself, I'm sure existing somewhat in counterculture and there seemed to be a deep resonance with the herbal community and the counterculture, essentially people going to jam band, hippie shows, people going to reggae shows, people going to obviously natural health expos, people that were really on that, that kind of exploratory mindset seemed to resonate with the herbal community. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's something that's something I think that that kind of thread from childhood pulled me through the whole time because it was something that I found again as a teenager. Someone gave me a Rodale's Guide to Herbs book and I, you know, devoured the whole thing. And then, you know, uh, moving on as an adult to the Northwest, um, the herb culture was alive and well here and that immediately pulled me in. Do you so, feel like the no Northwest has a very strong herbal community? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I, th I think it does. Okay. Um, so being in the Northwest, you felt the resonance, the community, you felt like uh, it inspired you to pursue herbalism more. For sure. Because that was, I mean, it was, you know, I met people every day that were interested in um, plants or making medicine from plants. The, you know, the little local co-ops all were filled with these sweet little bottles with little labels on them that I loved. And they were full of magical plants. You know, I mean, it was all um, a really, a really neat calling. Um, and yes, I just to touch on your counterculture music. Absolutely. And I think that's just another facet of that is that music is another medicine that is part of the earth and part of our life here and part of our health and well-being. And music and herbs go hand in hand together. I really think that they attract um, that same vein of human that's that's looking for that deeper purpose. Well, let me tell you, when I listen to jazz, when I you want to take herbs, when I'm at a <laughs> Grateful Dead, well, Grateful Dead derivative concert. Mm -hmm. When I'm at any jam band concert, I make sure and have herbs. There you go. You know, because people don't realize that, you know, where I live in Oregon, it's legal, people, okay? 
Just FYI. <laughs> People don't realize that cannabis is, in fact, just another herb. It's true. It is true. And some herbs speak louder than others. I would say all oh, yeah. herbs are psychoactive. All herbs are entheogenic and can connect you to um, God or source or whatever your spiritual connection is. I think they all have that capability. At some speak louder and others are, you know, you have to do a little more digging, a little more work to form a relationship with and them. And then you look at uh, alcohol with beer and mm. people don't realize that beer from an herbalist perspective is actually a hop tincture. Would you say that? Or what would you say? Well, because no. it is a herb. I mean, yeah. herbs, the hops that are used to make the beer are an herb. Is that correct? Absolutely. So okay. yes, if there's hops in there, then yes, you are getting somewhat <laughs> of something. a, yes, no, it is. It's true. It's like a hop. It's like a, you know, with the yeast and all of that, it's almost like a, yeah, a concoction of yeast and vinegars and uh, water and alcohol making this um, tincture sort of medicine. But yes, and that's why a beer that has a high hop content, like I think it's, uh, I don't, I'm, I'm not a beer person so much. <laughs> I think it's porters or something maybe that have a high uh, hops. They make you sleepy. IPAs. IPAs maybe. Okay. So they make you sleepy. Well, hops is a really wonderful sedative and um, it works on that level. So yeah. And that's an herb. And it really is. So herbs in a way are all around us. They're just repackaged, uh, distilled, um, you know, extracted in such a way that they are then something else. And then when we access that with our definition, with our consciousness, we're not seeing it as the herb that it actually is, which is so amazing. Just another plant helping us. And most of our conventional medicines are herbal based. Wouldn't you say is an aspirin or some of those um, mm-hmm. kind of commercial As- medicines herbal based in a way? Well, aspirin um, is a synthetic form of salicylic acid, which is found in um, cottonwood, cottonwood trees and willow trees. Um, there's a there's a whole family of trees that are high in salicylic acid and plants as well. Meadowsweet. There's a few others. Um, and that's a really interesting whole thing because pharmaceuticals are mostly, yes, all based of plant derivatives, but they often take one constituent. Like if you were to take an aspirin, you would need to drink an ungodly amount of willow tea to get the amount in an aspirin. I don't even think you could do it. It's so bitter. Right. And, you know, it, it's so not, much. you wouldn't be able to do it. So it's not about, but yet you could use, um, some of those herbs for a headache type like situation or inflammatory situation. But I think what pharmaceuticals don't take into account is the synergy of that entire intelligence of the plant. Right. The holistic approach. You're yes. Seeing the whole plant, not just the curcumin from the turmeric or the salicylic acid from the willow. It's about how that whole plant communicates with your whole body. But I think it's so interesting that these commercial medicines, which over time have, demonized in a lot of ways these natural medicines and really push them to the side when you look at them under the microscope you see that it's all derivatives of these herbs that they're trying to hide now it's aspirin it's this it's this trademark thing but at the end of the day you strip it down to its roots right the roots (laughs) and it's just another herb which is so funny so It seems, though, I would say within the last 20 years that there's been a marked increase in the acceptance 
of herbs as a treatment for various uh, ailments. Would you say that's correct? Definitely. Yeah, a huge, huge, huge increase in interest. And I think, you know, I think that it's a a twofold where there's, um, I think that humans are naturally becoming more curious because there's a need. I think that there's a calling inside of us to reconnect with the earth. And there's a calling inside of us that however deep it is that like, hey, hey, I'm, we're here for each other and we can do this. And so there it might be like, oh, wow, I think I'm going to read more about turmeric or, or whatever it is. And then there's, you know, the marketing of, okay, this is popular now, or we found this one constituent in this plant, let's, you know, blow it up and it's in all the health food stores and all the magazines. And, and then those kind of elements play off each other. Um, but ultimately I think it's truly becoming more popular because there's a need for it in the human spirit. Right. And it's just manifesting on the physical level as people buying more tinctures <laughs> at the store. Yeah. Or you know, buying, they're, you they're know, seeing this as the manifestation of the plant spirit in its own form. And then they're wanting to connect with that. But then in the commercial kind of matrix world, you know, that they're seeing that, oh, me purchasing this product is a way of connecting. And in a way, it is an authentic way because when they take these products that are actually incredibly powerful and if they're made correctly and organic and wildcrafted with the right intention we're going to talk about what wildcraft means um then it can be a true authentic connection to the plant world the earth spirit the earth world Mm -hmm. so let's touch on a couple things so let's explain to the lay person um what is the difference between like i'm sure you know i'm sure there's a low grade herbs out there just bottom of the barrel gmo grow grown in a vat of toxic (laughs) chemicals that you know produce the toxic avenger or god only knows so like these things are growing and there is that level of herbs is that correct i think morally it's more about just low quality like they're grown on a mass scale yes there's pesticide use they were dried Two years ago, incorrectly, I know there's, especially in the food market, in culinary herbs, uh, most conventional herbs are um, irradiated. So pretty much all the nutritional value and especially like what I would consider energetic value is fried right out of them. So, yeah. um, But there is, and then a lot of, in a lot of these cases, these herbal supplements that are made by these mega big manufacturers that you see at big kind of grocery chains like the dollar store and walmart and places like that they don't even really have herbs in them is that correct um well you know i mean i would say if you go get your ginkgo biloba at you know the drugstore the dollar store or the dollar store or whatever um that there probably is some ginkgo in there um but there's also a huge, there is a huge issue with adulteration and there's herbs that have common names that are different. You know, there might be three different completely separate species of herbs that have a similar common name. And so then those are switched out in the trade world. Um, and then you're like, oh, this is, you know, whatever, wood betony, for example, but then it's actually something else. So the so, low grade yeah. herbs do exist, it seems like. So you want to avoid those and you want to look for things. So you're you're shopping, you're not going to your big chain stores potentially. You might find them there. They are popping up at the big chain stores. They are popping up. Like Trader Joe's and the Kroger based chains are across the country. 
but um it just seems like you really have to look out for the organic wild crafted herbs now can you explain to people what does organic and wild craft mean in the in the herbalist world sure i would say that you know your best bet i mean if if you know everybody's in a different place with different access to things if that's you know what all you can access and it helps you great i would say if you are able to support your local herbalist if you're able to you know find the people who are making things in your area made from things in your area that's so your is, ultimate is that what organic and wildcraft mean? no sorry i was i, I uh so organic and wildcrafted so organic would mean and as in certified organic as with food that you are growing the herbs without pesticides, herbicides, chemical fertilizers, petroleum products, and the like. So they should be grown with good sun and rain and nutrients, and um, they're going to have a higher vital force in that um, kind of growing environment. Wildcrafted means that um, someone is going out, the harvester is going into a wild area, say up into a meadow where there's a field of yarrow and they're harvesting that yarrow. There are ways to appropriately and not appropriately wild craft. Um, and there have been a lot of issues with herbs um, coming to the brink of endangerment because of so, over wild crafting. So even if it areas. says wild craft on it, Mm-hmm. If it's not wild craft in a way that's sustainable, then it's possible that uh, you may think you're making the right choice, but then at the end of the day, it, you might actually be making uh, a bad choice. It just really depends on the company. Is that what you're saying? Well, you can look, I mean, I would say that labels now say sustainably wild crafted. Um, as you know, which may, I mean, you know, you can say natural on anything. So who knows if sustainably wildcrafted, but I would say that people who go to that length to put that on their label have that intention. I would say that, um, a lot of people who used to wildcraft are now sustainably cultivating such as echinacea. Um, there are no, there are very few stands of echinacea left in the wild that should be wildcrafted. They should be left for the wild to replenish themselves. And so instead, herb farms have, you know, re- cropped up all over the country and are now cultivating echinacea so that there can still be a supply um, without decimating wild populations. So even in the most conscious aspects in these wonderful companies, including your own, if you're not careful, then and you're not conscious about what you're doing, then you could over-harvest just like everything else. Yeah, exactly. Um, and there's rules about that, you know, that there should be a certain um, quantity that you see in a stand of herbs and that you should only pick every so other. I mean, there's definitely some sort of, you know, rules written about about that um, in the herbalist community. And there's a wonderful organization called the United Plant Savers. Okay. Um, and that was um, Rosemary Gladstar, who's one of the grandmothers of herbalism in our time. Um, She was um, a huge part in that. And that's basically a watch group that kind of looks at those herbs that were wildcrafted to the brink of extinction, such as golden seal, echinacea. There's quite a few. 
Um, and you can go to their website and look and see what herbs, what excuse me, what herbs are on their watch list for being either at risk or endangered, and kind of what the best practices are for harvesting them. So that's a great Ooh. resource. So you're a but a budding herbalist. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a budding herbalist. You want to learn how to do it right. You go to this website. Yeah, it's uh, United Plant Savers. I think okay. it's... Okay, yeah. United Plant Savers. United Plant Savers. Probably. You can also <laughs> check out the American Herbalist Guild, and they have a ton of resources uh, that can plant you. Okay, so let's let's touch on this. Yeah. Your company's Vital Force Herbs. Explain it the is. concept of the Vital Force. So the vital force to me is, I feel we've been talking about it all along, um, and it is that light inside of you. It is um, where human and spirit connect. It's where your internal fire is. It's the part of you that makes you you beyond your name and your face and all of those external features. Um, it's the drive you have inside of you, and it's the seat of your... Um, you know, your internal fire that is, you know, they, the digestive fire, the um, kind of the seed of everything that makes um, your would life you, happen Would you say you. it's like the chi? Would you describe it like the chi? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. It's like the chi in Chinese medicine. In, uh, in Ayurveda, it would be like the solar plexus and that kind of seat of your intestinal fire. And that's, you know, that's what spreads from your core to your periphery. That's what starts in your heart and spreads out to your limbs. It's where you are rooted in the ground and you, you know, go on up to the heavens. So you feel that herbs and herbal medicine should feed this fire, it should increase your vital force. Absolutely. And, and I think they definitely do. And herbs have their own vital force and herbs have, to me, that's one of the, the, just amazing, amazing, magical things about herbs is that they hold an intelligence of all the herbs that ever were. I think that, you know, every nettle stand or rose or oak tree holds within its memory all of the all of those of its species and of everyone it's around of its whole biome. And so I think that that intelligence is there and it's written into the code so that when you take nettles, you have that information of the current ecosystem it's grown in and all the history of everything that nettle has ever observed and learned and, you know, evolved. And then that has a coalescence with your own evolution and your own vital force. So you ingest these herbs. They have their own vital force. They have their cellular memory we can say their genetic mm -hmm. memory their spiritual memory their their ethereal memory yes all the of the spirit those. of all these of those plants memories. the ethereal memory and they can resonate with your vital force and increase it and heal you in that way and it works at the core of herbalism is the concept of the vital force and addressing the vital force is that correct correct and i would say i mean my motto is it, you know, for my company is heal yourself. And I firmly believe that herbs, herbs have constituents, they have, you know, magical things they do for your body. Yes, comfrey can actually knit bone tissue together under a microscope. It, you wow. can see it. However, I think it's so much more than that, that it's really more stimulating your vital force so that you can heal your bones ah, yourself. So it's sense. essentially just giving you that energetic boost you need to 
tap into your own personal healing power. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. Vitalforceherbs.com is the website. Is that correct? That is correct. You have a whole bunch of products. You have various blends, each designed to address a specific kind of range of symptoms or what, what would you say? Um, not symptoms. Um, ailments, sorry. Ailments. Well, (laughs) I'll explain. I don't know. I'll explain. It's okay. Um, so what I would say is that because herbalism works in such a different way than, um, than pharmaceutical medication is that you're not, you don't want to look for symptoms because you're not treating the root. You're covering things up. And, and while herbs are gentle and, um, are not going to cause the range of side effects you might find in um, a more intense manufactured uh, drug. They still can change your tissue states. They can still change your energetics. And so say you're a super hot person. Wait, 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 wait. Let's clarify what that means. Okay. Super hot person <laughs> because we can go in all different directions. Okay. So say you are energetically a very warmed up person you want the air conditioning on you want to drink iced tea you wear you know flip-flops and a tank top all winter long and you could be physically attractive or not or not yeah either way (laughs) (laughs) or or you could be physically attractive to somebody else exactly so yes so that kind of person who says oh wow i've got this arthritis that's my symptom my symptom is that you know i have this achiness in my joints and i've heard that Turmeric is wonderful for this condition. So I'm going to start loading up on this every day. Well, turmeric in its energetic imprint is a very hot, dry herb. So you give a hot, dry herb to a hot, dry person. That's not necessarily going to help your symptom of your arthritis. That actually might aggravate that symptom. So, Interesting. yes. So my blends are all made for... They're made in a more gentle tonic type of sense. Um, I do have a lung elixir that will support a cough. I do have um, a digestive tincture that will support an upset stomach. Um, However, I've tried to balance them in such a way that anyone could take them off the shelf. Um, Disclaimer here, but (laughs) 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 most anyone could take one and it's not going to sway you too far one way or the other. It's going to be gentle enough for... Anyone to say, you know, I'm going to try this out and see how it balances. And my hope is that you'll look at those ingredients and think, wow, I could really taste the fennel in that. I wonder, yeah, I feel like it was the fennel that really helped me. And then maybe that will further your curiosity about fennel. And then maybe you'll go down that path and, you know. Well, I've noticed with your products, it seems because you do grow them yourself, correct? And your property and Oregon? I do. I do grow about 80% of what I put into my, um, yep. And then where does the other 20% come The from? other 20% are herbs that I cannot grow myself due to um, just the, you know, the um, environment or climate here or just the space that I have. Um, and so I get those from other reputable herb sources, whether locally or other, you know, places in the country. I've just noticed that the flavor is dramatic. The the feeling, you notice it right away. You feel that plant energy. It seems like you've really put a lot of thought, a lot of care, a lot of understanding, and really applied your 
knowledge that you've accumulated for so long into these blends. It, it really shines. And I've noticed, like I said earlier in the podcast, that we talked about how it was crystal infused. So what is crystal infusion in the herbal world? And what is the like what, what is the effect of herbal or excuse me, crystal infusion? Sure. Um so Crystal infused is something that I came up with because I love rocks and crystals just as much as I love herbs. To me, they're just another intelligent, um, magical life force on the earth. And I feel like they hold, you know, the uh, cellular memories like we were talking about with plants. They have affinities for different parts of the body, for different, you know, psycho-emotional, spiritual needs. Um, and there is a vein of, of healthcare that focuses solely on crystal medicine, whether it's the laying of stones on the body or making infusions. Um, so I felt like I really wanted to find a way to add crystals into my herbal medicine um, as a synergist and also as an amplifier. And so I kind of, you know, I did a lot of research and a lot of experimenting and worked out what I felt um, would be, you know, generally beneficial for whatever blend I'm using it for. Um, and it is kind of your own, from what I understand, it is your own proprietary method of infusing the crystal. For sure. Yeah, I think everybody has their their own kind of way of doing it. Um, so, you know, I found the crystals that, you know, some crystals are not are not safe to actually put in water and or whatever formula you're using and ingest some should only be done energetically. Um, but I, so I took, you know, what crystals that I felt I generally use, uh, quartz, rose quartz and amethyst all in that general quartz family, very safe and very effective at, um, you know, in, uh, herbalism we have, when you're making formulas, there's a, uh, one ingredient you put in there called the driver. And the driver is an herb that's usually more of a pungent, stronger remedy that goes deeper into the blood system or, I mean, into the bloodstream or uh, opens the capillary, something that kind of drives the formula in deeper. Okay. And to me, crystals are another type of driver. So they bring the medicine. If you're talking about a heart blend and you have rose quartz in there and rose quartz is really a, a quintessential heart remedy in the crystal world that that is really driving that herbal heart medicine deeper and more fully more more of a complete um healing to the heart um to work with and um also just the amplification i feel like it brings you know just an extra boost to the herbs as well well we know in any type of situation that you know especially in the radio broadcast world we know that quartz crystals can amplify signals we know that people that meditate they meditate with crystals it seems to amplify their meditation experience it seems to really add on so they've always been these amplifiers these resonators mm -hmm. and record keepers and yeah. record keepers and so having those in the blend are so, so are they actually chunks or are people gonna <laughs> get, get, get a little quartz in their teeth yeah or? you might be careful don't chew too hard no <laughs> no um, no. <laughs> no there won't be any physical crystal material left in the final product okay. no. but there will be that essence in there and i do feel it's palpable for sure so where is 
the state of herbalism right now, what are some of the trends in herbalism that seem to be developing in your, that you're noticing? Um, wow. I don't, it changes every week. <laughs> that's one thing I've noticed about herbalism, especially in the past 10 years, just, you know, I mean, and that seems to be a natural thing as, you know, markets, transportation, um, digital communication as all of that increases and the earth seems to get smaller and smaller then herbs start to come from all over and that has its pluses and minuses um so i've noticed you know um that there's often big trends in herbs from the other side of the world so like there's a lot of chinese remedies that are coming through like uh, shisandra berries seems to be really popular right now and that's um a really unique herb of five flavors you if you if you uh suck on a dried uh, shisandra berry it's like the everlasting gobstopper it's like you can go through all the different flavors of like sweet spicy sour you know in this one berry so uh, you know that's really cool and and that's a wonderful driver for lots of formulas and um it has a beautiful essence so anyways there, there's so it's it's wasn't necessarily used in a lot of blends in current herbalism but you're seeing it pop up in a bunch of different people's blends a bunch of different people's yeah i would say like treatment plans you know and various things 10 years ago i don't i mean i'm sure somebody was talking about it but it wasn't on all the shelves at the grocery stores as it is now and there's a i mean there's so many different things that are like that i can't even really think to name them but i think the important thing is that that's going to continue to happen and there's always you know people in our society want new things all the time and they get bored of things they're like oh man echinacea that's so like last year or last century or whatever so they're right. looking for that new edge of like yeah, i remember oh, you know, echinacea was so big in the late 90s right, right? everybody was like echinacea Echi- echinacea yes and uh and we could talk a lot about echinacea and uh but anyways um <laughs> well one thing i do want to talk about is that you often you know you mentioned earlier in the podcast that you felt that all herbs are entheogenic meaning psychoactive or psychedelic, you know, mind activating, allowing you to tap into those higher frequencies. So what are some of the herbs that you know that are legal and have those really deep psychoactive effects? I mean, I know salvia, would you consider salvia an herb or is that a grass? No, I mean, it's an herb. It's in the sage family. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or sage is in the salvia family. However you, yeah. Okay. Like the common garden sage is also a salvia. Um, there's a lot of different, yeah, you know, I, I guess I hesitate to say that because I think a lot of those legally available quote unquote psychoactive drugs then tend to be used as like, oh, I can, you know, kind of take this herb and, and, uh, you know, have this sort of out of body experience or, or, you know, whatever. But I think sometimes you miss the point there. Um, I would say definitely salvia has something that's been used by people. Um, there's some more, I would consider them to be more, um, heavy or potentially dangerous like Datura and, um, uh, like Kratom, you know, some of those things kratom. that it's like, so even Kratom, which we see in all, sorry to interrupt you yeah, there, no but problem. You, you hit a, you hit a subject. So we see Kratom in all these stores. You're driving around, you look around, you see these Kratom. And I thought it was Kratom for you. Uh, you know, I'm not really sure. Kratom, Kratom, Kratomo, <laughs> I don't know, whatever you want to call it, but we know what we're talking about. That is also an herb. Yes. And we know that that 
does activate opiate receptors in the brain. So there's herbs that activate opiate receptors, but opium's not an herb. Well, all plants are herbs. I mean, an herb is a plant with... Wait a second. <laughs> now I'm confused. So all plants are herbs. Well, okay. How do you distinguish Wait, on, a plant and an herb? Exactly. I'm... I would say... Do you distinguish that? I would say, yes, all plants are herbs. But I mean, because an herb, I guess it depends on how you define it. You could say that there are culinary herbs, but I could still say this oak tree we keep talking about over here is an herb. It has medicinal properties that would be used by an herbalist in an herbal formula, but it's a tree. So So herbs just really became this classification of the certain spectrum of plants, which had outright and obvious medicinal qualities sure and then there was ones that maybe had subtle medicinal qualities they didn't get called herbs they call it called like your house plant name or yes or, or weeds i mean i've been finding weeds. as i weed my medicinal garden and things keep popping up and i'm like oh what is that oh you can't be here sorry i, I this is my calendula bed you gotta go and then you know keeps popping up and then finally i you know, start paying closer attention and where it's coming up and start researching and find like, oh, this is such and such, you know, willow herb and it's related to fireweed and it does have medicinal properties. And I've been throwing it, you know, into the compost all this time or a nasturtium flower, which is peppery and you put it in your salad, but actually it's a wonderful antioxidant. And so these things that people defined as weeds could just be herbs it's Most really herbs it's really interesting weeds. it's just yes. a matter of perception <laughs> absolutely and it's the, par- the plant paradigm it's how these humans perceive yes. the plants which stacks them into these different categories dandelion it's is a, a very classic. human thing so these yeah. herbs what we describe as herbs what we describe as weeds what we describe as plants yet again are just human classifications that humans have created humans created these labels yes in the plant world, they don't have these labels. They're just plants. They are just or whatever plants. they describe and themselves as. I can't think of a plant that doesn't have polysaccharides, tannins. Um, Which are what? Those would be constituents within the plant that may have some medicinal affinity to a organ system in your body. So. Um, say marshmallow has polysaccharides which are long chain sugar molecules and those have an affinity to the lining of the gut with not on their own but in in the synergy of the plant and so um something like that is what i'm saying is that every plant has some sort of constituent in it that could be considered useful or you know having an affinity for or supportive for the human system right. or the animal system right so, so it's yeah there. The, it's, the, it's there in and especially like we could talk all day about dandelions like how are dandelions demonized poisoned thrown out and dandelions are one of the most quintessential liver supportive herbs that's out there and is used in look in any herbal you know any liver formula 99 percent of them have dandelion i happen to like dandelions i I didn't understand their medicinal qualities but uh i will say that hey (laughs) who doesn't love dandelions but you know when i was a kid what did i do i had my lawnmower i just mowed right over those things sorry dandelions i didn't know well you know dandelions are pretty free and abundant around here so so you see these compounds in nature like nicotine and dmt and they they show up all these different places. They also show up in the herbal world. All these 
yeah. constituents, the compounds that we would consider psychoactive, psychedelic. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Very interesting. So you could, in effect, through various blends of herbs, you find the right ones that have certain effects. You could recreate a highly powerful, potent psychedelic experience, potentially. What do you think about that? Is that possible? I think it's definitely possible. For sure. You could also have an extreme psychedelic experience sitting with a chamomile plant. It's true. But like I said, some speak louder than others. So yeah, if you were looking for that rocket to the moon experience, yes, absolutely. There are, I feel, plants that would take you there. Um, I prefer rockets to the moon. (laughs) I the subway and the train just don't get the there fast <laughs> You know, enough. you'd be surprised, though, I have to say, <laughs> what you could learn from no, sitting I like with it a chamomile all. I plant. love chamomile. Or I love what oatmeal. I, I love a Oats, lot of different... We could, yeah, you wanted to talk a little bit about some restorative uh, Well, plants. yeah, we we'll did talk there, before the show. Oats, well, yeah. here's the thing. Okay, let's touch on this a little bit. Right now, we want to, as humans, it seems like, as our population's growing, as all these new afflictions we'll say seem to be manifesting we want to boost our immune system our goal as humans right now is to boost our immune system to the max what are some of the herbs that you recommend that would boost a human being's immune system so i wish that question was super easy like um you know here's a here's a band-aid or take this teaspoon of this, but But it's um, always about the synthesis and then based on the person specifically. Yes. It's based on personal energetics and it's on based on your entire picture of your habits and your, um, you know, everything that you do. If you, you could take an immune boosting herb all day long and if you don't sleep at night and you, only eat potato chips, then it's not, echinacea is not really going to get you very far or what, whatever we're talking about. Um, so I think it's looking at the whole picture of your being, not just taking immune boosting herbs. However, I will say that um, there are some things that are great for, you know, daily tonic use, um, ways to just build up your system. And I think it's important to kind of really study yourself before you start working with an herb regimen to kind of figure out what you need. What do you mean study yourself? Because <laughs> I look in the mirror in the morning. And, and you I study spend, yourself? Well, I spend quite a lot of time making sure I look beautiful <laughs> and just appreciating myself. And that's, uh, a, that's a good healthy practice. It's a good healthy quality. That's the first, that's the first step to the immune system, actually. So mm-hmm. you're on the right exactly. track. So what else, what are we really talking so about? So we're here? talking about looking at what makes you feel good. And not just feel good in the moment. You know, we you talked about opiate receptors um, in plants. There's opiate receptors in wheat. And, you know, so that might make you feel good. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to make you healthy to just eat more bread products, right? So, um, so what I'm talking about is... Are looking at, are you getting enough sleep? Looking at what you eat every day. And even what you eat every day, I can't say that salad all day, every day is good for you and you and you, because if you're a really cold person and a, like a, you know, a, a cold temperature wise, cold people, temperature just, just wise. Yes, of course. Yes. It, what they would say in Ayurveda, a Vata type constitution, someone who's more thin, uh, maybe more nervous personality, cold, not a lot of, you know, meat on the bones. That person eating cold raw salads every day is actually going to make themselves have a less functional immune system. 
so, you know, so that's why it's, it's hard to prescribe, not, not even prescribe. We don't use that word in herbalism, but pr- hard to, um, recommend any kind of, um, you know, specific dietary or otherwise thing. But I would say, make sure you eat what makes you feel healthy. Make sure you sleep however you need to. And then, um, there are a lot of nutritive herbs out there, which I think are more important than immune boosting herbs, such as nettles. It has a ton of micronutrients in there, calcium, magnesium, iron, manganese. So the goal to boosting the immune system is boosting your nutritional. Yes, absolutely. And that includes your elements, getting sunshine, getting fresh air, getting clean water, getting uh, elements from the earth. Um, such as iodine. Such Everyone, as, uh, yes. uh, You know, for people that don't know yet on the show, I'm a very big proponent of iodine. I love this person. His name, oh, I love a lot of people, but I love this specific doctor. His name's Dr. Brownstein, drbrownstein.com. Oh, yeah, Dr. And Brownstein. he's pretty amazing, and he's the leading expert on thyroid. He'll tell you all about iodine, way iodine. more than I ever could. Iodine is very important. and yeah, uh, critical. Yeah, so, so getting all of those uh, critical elementals, I will call them, um, I think we're made from elements, and I think that we need daily elemental nutrition. It's very, um, especially in the last few years, has come to be a very core understanding of health for me. Um, so looking at that, so things like nettles that are very nutritive, um, oats, which is what you might make your oatmeal out of, but there's a certain stage when the oats are growing called the milky oat stage, and the oats exude a latex, which actually coats the um, coats your nervous system. So that's really wonderful for stress and burnout and just basically the fast-paced society that we live in. Um, so things like that can be super helpful. Things like rose hips or any of those sour-type herbs, rose hips, um, hawthorn berries, hibiscus, things um, that have um, that bright red color and sourness will also have a high vitamin C content and often zinc bioflavonoids and, um, you know, other things that are very helpful to the immune system. Um, lemon balm is another, is a great nerving that I think is a wonderful immune booster, as well as a mood booster, as well as, I mean, it's, it's a panacea. You could really just have lemon balm with you and, and come out okay. So I think that's a great, um, a so great one to look into. A little goes a long way. You find some of these herbs that are nutritive and some that are beneficial in a general sense, mm-hmm. maybe not like as specific as a person might need, but they come through in a general sense. That's what you actually need to boost. That's what I think. And then I think there's things you can do to, you know, I think if you start getting a scratchy throat or start feeling achy, I think that also taking those high nutritives with some of the pungent herbs that are aromatic and volatile, which means they have a lot of essential oil content, not advocating ingesting essential oils on their own. But um, so having a cup of... um, hot water with lemon and ginger in it is extremely valuable when you feel like your immune system is low. Um, you know, people, there's kind of been a, a fire cider revival as a fire cider went through some legal issues recently with um, one particular company trying to patent it rather than it being a family recipe passed down, um, which it has been for generations. So now that that's kind of over, people are really that there's this rekindle of, yeah, fire cider. And that's a lot of your 
pungent herbs that are really going to boost that internal fire, um, which is then boosting your whole immune system Ah, response. Back to the vital force. Yes, exactly. You got to feed your vital force, kindle the fire. And that, you know, that's, I mean, that's, you know, the old home remedies of hot chicken soup. Well, that chicken soup was full of garlic, onions, you know, thyme, oregano, rosemary, all of those highly volatile um, aromatic herbs in them. And then, you know, get under a bunch of covers and have your hot lemon ginger tea. I mean, that's that's actually a really great recipe for boosting your immune system and also going to bed when you feel sick instead of going back to work is a huge thing. So <laughs> a lot of these foods that we eat that mm-hmm. we have classified as humans as these foods, we look at potatoes, we look at onions, we look at garlic as foods. They're aromatic herbs. Absolutely. And they're healing and curing you, you know, in certain situations through the food, these dishes that you're eating, chicken soup, you know, whatever that has these nutritive restorative effects. You're not looking at this as an herbal tea. I'm a, I'm a medicinal or a medicine. Like I need my chicken soup prescription or yeah. my, you know, I don't need to go down the <laughs> store and buy the bottle. It's yeah, no, it's about those. Um, yeah. Those herbs that have that vital force in them to, you know, boost your immune system. But I, Oh, go ahead. Oh, I, I just wanted to say that I also think that there's a difference, you know, I, I think right now, especially there's this huge push for it that, you know, it's, in our l- recent history of um, the medical world and healthcare, it has been to dissect and pull apart all the body systems down to the nano level, right? That we pull apart the arm, we pull apart the brain, we pull apart all these different things. And, and that, I think, initially started out as a way to figure out how it works. You want to figure out all the parts of a car, you take it apart, you know, you check out the motor, all these things, you put it back together. Now you know how the car works, right? I think that in our human history right now, we've gone through a few hundred years now of taking the body apart, especially in the wave of our you know, our latest technological leaps where we're really taking things apart down to this, this teeny tiny microscopic level. And now I think that's part of why humans are coming back to herbs and why we're seeing this is that there is a need. We've, we've picked it apart. We're good. We, we know what, what's in the layers. And I know there's still, you know, there's still research that's happening on how the brain works. And I think a lot of that is really more about the mystery that, that science is never going to figure it out. But anyway, that's another story. Um, so I think that. Um, that, oh, I lost my whole train of thought. Help me, help me. Where was I? I'm swimming in a sea of thoughts. (laughs) It's okay. Let's just touch on the history of herbalism. Yes. Um, so in the past, um, herbalists have been persecuted. I mean, these are the witches of old. These are the people that were burned at the stake. Yeah. And then you look back at these women that were accused and a lot of these were just your basic herbalists. They weren't doing anything else except for just making medicinal concoctions and responding to people's needs when they were requesting these remedies. Mm -hmm. And then because of that, they were killed. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I've got that, but now I remembered what I was going to say. I just want to finish it because that was a long train to nowhere. Okay. So what I was just trying to say is that, so we've picked everything apart into this immune system like it's this separate train car. But really, I think 
what I'm talking about with boosting your immune system and what we need to work on is that our immune system is one facet of this whole orchestra of our body. And that it's actually okay to get sick sometimes because your body is learning and that there's a whole orchestra between us and our ecosystems. We have tons of bacteria, viruses, funguses living in all of our body parts and our eyelashes, our intestines, everywhere. And it's about the synergy and the dance between those, not that we need to fire up the immune system to kill the the pathogens. And that if we look at it in a little bit of a different light um, and find the communication between the species of the virus and the human or, or whatnot, um, that we sort of see it a little differently and can then work on it on a different level. Interesting. That's a really interesting perspective. I'm glad you were able to cap that off. <laughs> For those that are listening, you, <laughs> you've got the complete picture now. Okay, so which what is, else can we can talk we about? We, you know, the history. Well, you know, we just want to touch on that a bit yeah, because sure. you know we want people to realize that this is what these pe- women and you know mostly women back in the day, but also men were practicing these things, and this is what they were persecuted for by at the time of Catholic Church, but other churches as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, herbalism itself is been demonized by religious culture would you say uh yeah i would say as well and i think a lot of that has to do with externalizing power rather than that you have the power within yourself to heal yourself you have the power within you to heal your family member you have all of that at your disposal with the intelligence of the earth that you know religion and you know whatever the structures may be will um The power structure is external. They want you to not have that inside yourself so much, but to seek it from an outside source. So if everyone's an herbalist, and then maybe they don't need to believe in those religious tenets, or maybe they don't need to believe in that particular, you know, Train of thought. So herbalism is a gateway drug in a way. It's It's such a a gateway drug. Herbalism is a gateway. I was telling you about chamomile earlier. (laughs) It is a serious gateway drug. Herbalism (laughs) is the path to higher thinking, you think. Maybe it's one of of the paths. One one doorway for some people. a path that you could take and definitely find yourself there. And that was something I was starting to say at the very beginning when I was saying that Western herbalism kind of took a break. You know, Um, When we talk about Ayurveda and, you know, Chinese medicine and some of the Eastern traditions that are thousands of years old, and they have much more complex systems at looking at how the body works and all the synergies between the systems. And they, they were, they never went through that persecution, persecution period of time where they had to go underground. So Ayurveda has been studied out in the open with the population for thousands of years. So With they've no made no impedance. So no they've made blocking. Yes, they've been able to observe, evolve, innovate all of those things. Whereas in the western world, herbalism had to go deep underground for a long time. And so it's really coming back now, but that's I mean we've seen a few different renaissances I would say in this western period of time. Um, so so do you yeah. feel that the Ayurvedic form is the most advanced form of herbalism because of the fact that they were able to study it for longer with no obstructions, with no impedance. I would definitely say it has that quality for sure. I don't, I don't know if there's one that's the most, but I would say that given its ability to thrive and flourish and grow and evolve with 
the population and the plants through, you know, this whole period of time through thousands of years that, uh, yeah, there's a lot more, they've made a lot more headway. So what happened in history? Maybe it's okay if you don't know this, but I'm just curious <laughs> if you know what happened when people started comparing notes, when the Ayurvedic people started meeting with the Chinese herbalists and then, you know, were they able to compare and contrast notes? Were they able to, you know, kind of amend each other's situations and understandings? What do you know about that, if anything? I do know that from what I have learned that all traditions of herbalism have the basic common threads. They pretty much are all saying the same thing in different ways, with different languages, with slightly different, you know, there are some herbs that Ayurveda would say are warming, that Chinese medicine would say are cooling, that Western medicine might, you know, agree with one side or the other, but you have to look at like why and then it all comes around as being the same thing like well Chinese calls it cooling because it has this effect upon the liver that ends in a net cooling effect whereas you know the other tradition might say it's warming because of this and that but they end up kind of at the same end if that makes sense and so they've kind of come to I think all the traditions have come to agree that they're pretty much talking about the same thing um, and have very similar ideas about um, humanity and, and the plant world work. and how herbs work and all that. So is there a new form of herbalism which combines all the information from all the various herbal traditions? A new kind of herbalism? Or, or is there been like modern forms of herbalism that, are, that have adapted all these? Well, sure. I think, I mean, there are traditions... I mean, I would say right now, I think that one that's really coming around, that's bridging all the old traditions together and taking into account newer things is the vitalist tradition. And that's definitely um, what I find that resonates most with me. And the, um, the vitalist tradition is looking at all the things we've talked about, that you're looking at the individual energetics of the person, you're looking at the environment, you're looking at you know, the whole picture and holistically building something and that no two plants are alike and no two people are alike and that you build it from there. And I think that that's one of the things that runs true in all traditions um, that we've been able to kind of put into our, our uh, modern herbalist tradition. Interesting. Interesting. So you know, we're about at, uh, we're about at one fifteen. We still got about 20 minutes left. So I just want to curious, like, uh, what are your thoughts about the future of herbalism and what are you, some of the things that you feel like you want people to know to help them embrace herbalism more? People that are a little standoffish, maybe they're used to their paradigm has told them that conventional medicine is the way to go, sure. but they're seeking, they're, they're listening to midnight on earth. They're loving my voice. They're <laughs> loving, they're loving your laugh. They're loving us together. What, what what do you feel like you could tell them to make the herbal herbalism, the herbal medicine situation, all of that more palatable, more, more able to be understood? Sure. I would say I think the best thing to do is to start small and start with something that you have a connection to, something that grows in your yard or something that 
you know, the tea that you and your grandparent used to have together, something that really resonates with you. And it could be one of your cooking herbs. It could be that you really love cloves. So dig into cloves. That's a medicinal herb, you know, dig into um, rosemary. And I think it can be really helpful to work with one herb at a time, especially when you're first beginning. And if you're not sure kind of how you're feeling about it is just just pick one and have it as a tea, have it as a tincture, have it under your pillow, smell it, grow it, and and uh, just see what you learn from it. And I think that's a really simple and beautiful way to start. And as far as the future of herbalism, I think what I'm seeing, um, you know, I've heard some herb, uh, I've heard some people feel concerned and cautious that herbalism is going down the path of conventional medicine, um, that they're, you know, it's trying to be standardized and modernized and, you know, put in little bottles and that every bottle of nettles will be the same and, and, you know, kind of like that. But I think that ultimately what I'm seeing is quite the opposite. I'm seeing that there are more DIY herb programs than ever. You can go to pretty much any city and find some apothecary or co-op or some kind of grocery store that will have at least a small selection. You can buy herbs online from all over the country, all over the world now. Um, So the access to the herbs themselves and the access to the information of what to do and how to experiment um, is vast and growing every single day. There are 40 different programs I can think of off the top of my head on how to make your own lip balm with herbs or how to make your own elderberry syrup or fire cider. So um, that's where I see. I see that the herbs, that herbs are going back where they started, which is into the hands of people. So let's say somebody really wants to be an herbalist. They're, they're attracted to this. They're loving the concepts. They want to delve into herbalism more. Where would you point them? Um, well, I would first put your feelers out into your local community and see, you know, what apothecaries are in your community, what they have classes, maybe. Sure. Most of the apothecaries, I mean, I know the ones here in Portland do have, um, have, you know, classes on, you know, how to make your own stuff or learn about, you know, what elderberry syrup is all about. Um, and there's lots of online classes. I would say that, um, do you want me to be specific about places? Sure. Sure. I mean, if there's schools out there, if there's places that you recommend that a person that's charting a path towards herbalism, that they just check out, you know, you don't want to endorse anything. (laughs) I'm I'm not not endorsing anyone. Well, I would just uh, say like a super general place to start. I mentioned this before, but the American Herbalist Guild has a resource on their website. Oh, there we go. American Herbalist Guild. They list all, not, I won't say all, because I'm sure that there may be some that are, are, uh, haven't been discovered yet or just aren't on there for whatever reason, but um, herb schools and courses and there's a ton of online courses and you know in whatever city you live in um so that's a great place just to find out what's out there you you might be surprised at how many herb colleges and courses are actually out there so that's a great place um there's some really good home study courses rosemary gladstar has a course the art and science of herbalism 
And then there's another one called Learning Herbs, which is really great. They have like a really big online community where you can, you know, join. I think it's a few dollars a month and then you can ask questions, endless questions to, to the forum. And um, they have lots of little classes on, you know, how to make your own syrup here, how to do this. Um, they have board games for kids. If you're interested in kids herbalism, there's, um, uh, I believe it's called Herbal Root Zine. Um that uh, is really wonderful for kids. And then I guess I would say um, for delving in deeper, there's the School of Evolutionary Herbalism, and that is bridging herbalism, alchemy, and astrology. So if you really want to go Whoa. down the rabbit hole, Whoa. that's, yeah. And that's that, kind of like Neapolitan ice cream. That, it's, yes. it's chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. Absolutely. That's the the path I've taken and it's definitely a rabbit hole and I feel like I'm still on the edge of the cliff. So (laughs) (laughs) cool. So amazing. And it seems like all of these places that you just described and these schools, they're all easy to find online. Absolutely. They're out there. Mm -hmm. uh, You're not going to have to do too much digging. Basic search engine search will take you where you need to go. So you have your website, Bryn Anderson, Vital Force Herbs, www.vitalforceherbs.com. You can order her products. You can also get consultations with yes, her, you I can. believe. Uh-huh. So she'll evaluate your life from an herbalist perspective and maybe look at the health needs and deficiencies you have and figure out how to boost your vital force. Absolutely. I'm learning. Look at this. I'm learning. <laughs> We're learning together here on Midnight Earth. Midnight on Earth. The audience, the host, you know, the guest. We're always learning. We're always learning. We're learning together. Absolutely. And so you plan on expanding this. You you, you see yourself in grocery stores nationwide in 10 years where where do you see vinyl force herbs going with your business yeah definitely i'm definitely on the precipice of um a big growth for sure um i want herbs to be accessible to everyone and i want um i want really as an herbalist i feel like we are the hands and feet of herbs so the oak tree may not be able to walk over to you you know if even if it sees that you need it but I might be able to bring it to you through that intelligence so that's something that I feel like is my primary purpose as an herbalist and something that I see in the growth of vital force herbs is that my my service is that I want to really help everyone to increase their own vital force, their own healing potential, and to bring the plants to the people that need them. And so that they, they can, uh, can marry those forces together. Um, and that's, that's my purpose. And that's definitely why, um, I feel like, um, growing my company would be a great choice. Yes. So you're getting your name out there. You're spreading the energy of the plants. You, so in a sense, you're saying you feel like you're this conduit for the plant consciousness for the average person they're coming to the plant consciousness earth consciousness through you through your company that's your service yes absolutely and that goes with the what we talked about earlier about quality is that i would like there to be high quality herbs 
for people to be able to access crystal infused. I, you know, I, I don't, I feel like everyone should have access to, to uh, high frequency medicine. Okay. And while you're, it seems like you're doing it, you're, you have your website, I do you have, have your websites. company, you're based in Portland, Oregon. It's incredible products. We've got 10 minutes to go. We're in the final 10 minutes. This is our time for, well, let's just say this is our time this episode for the deepest possible thoughts. So let's, <laughs> let's hear what is, what is the mission of plants and herbalism on earth and what message do you want to leave people with as we close out our final nine minutes? Whoa, that's a big question. <laughs> um, so you got nine minutes to flesh it I out. Got nine minutes. <laughs> plants. What is the mission of plants? Like, what are what are their pur- their purposes to heal? Their purposes to feed? Absolutely, I think that. I mean, I think plants are here for themselves and for all the other facets facets of the earth, not just for humans. You know, I think that it's all this amazing living, breathing, pulsing organism that all works in synergy together. And I think that plants are an integral part of that. And when plants, um, I'm going to recommend an author, Stephen, Stephen, Stephen Herod Buner, The Secret Teachings of Plants. Amazing book on the more spiritual, ethereal, uh, relationship of humans and plants is this the secret life of plants or is this the secret teachings of plants because i've read a book and seen a documentary called the secret life of plants where they did things like experiments where they hooked up heads of lettuce to an ekg machine yeah you know the guy chops the head of lettuce you know leaves the room comes back all the heads of lettuce that are still alive just start freaking out. That was a secret life plant. So you're saying there's another book, The Secret Teachings of Plants. Secret Teaching. And the, he has several books. Um, he has um, Plants in the Imaginal Realm. Uh, look up Stephen Herbuner. You'll see all of his titles. Um, I don't want to get any of the title names exa- uh, wrong, but a- amazing perspective on plant consciousness and sort of, you know, the role of plants, the role of Gaia. And um, looking at hu- how humans, um, you know, are, are part of that, that greater facet of, of the world, or of the earth, I should say. Um, I think that we're here to co-evolve. And, and one thing, I guess, the reason I was mentioning his name is that he talks about the huge jump in the consciousness of the earth when plants came about, that there was this organization of cells that then, you know, organized that, you know, there's these particles and then they organize into cells and then they organize into um, molecules and that, you know, on and on and on. And that at some point there was this, you know, decision to, for, for the plant world to pop into the human, or excuse me, into the <laughs> history of the earth. And, you know, we don't have um, written access to what that looked like, but just that jump in what it took and the intelligence that plants have as far as the way they communicate with other species around them, the way that they're constantly changing with their environment. Plants are always, um, they're always flexible. Plants are so flexible. If one little thing with the weather happens, one little thing with their environment happens, there's more foxes this year, there's more voles this year, there's more snow this year, there's more sun this year. They have the ability to constantly adjust and 
that takes a, a serious intelligence. And then that has evolved since that, you know, that time. And so I think they have a lot to teach humans. I think that we have a lot of that already inside of us. It's just more of an awakening. I think we have all that knowledge already and that intelligence and that magic and mystery inside of us. I think plants are a key to helping us unlock you know, what's already inside of us. And then we move to a whole different kind of earth. Well, I am, I'm on board. Sign me up. And <laughs> plants have done so much for me as a person that has grown cannabis in the past. I was an herbalist, you know, cannabis growers out there. I bet you didn't know that in a way you're an herbalist. It's taught, plants have taught me so much. And I know that the people listening now realize that even coffee is psychoactive. All these different things mm -hmm. that are in our environment are incredibly psychoactive and they've done so many amazing things for us. So we really owe a lot to the plant world, not just for sustenance in a physical sense, but for all the developmental gifts and various beneficiary situations that the plants have provided for humanity. I mean, pain relief. I mean, you just go down the list. I mean, we really, we really owe a lot to the spirit of the plants and to the earth, to the planet, to the earth that we, uh, that we live on. So Bryn Anderson, I have a question <laughs> as we grow this podcast, you know, we want to touch base with people that are very proficient in certain subjects. We'd love to talk to you again sometime soon, get the herbalist perspective on various world events, various subjects. One question I would actually, this is going to be an interesting question as we run into our last five minutes here is that what do you think the power of herbs would be that are grown on other planets or as we expand out into the universe, the herbs that we find on other planets that are exclusive to those planets, how will that affect herbalism? Wow. Well, that'll be a whole new frontier. I mean, if you look at how, I think nature works with the microcosm and the macrocosm that the, you know, the spiral starts in the center and goes outward. I think it's probably just another, um, another level, another octave of our human evolution. I think that we to integrate those outer space plants. So that's like galactic plants. Yeah. I mean, that's a, you know, just to think about that kind of, uh, possibility. I, you know, I think the that galactic plants will contribute to our human evolution. Why not? Universal. I, I mean, life. why not? If you think of how, you know, plants from Europe, you know, were then, you know, came to, to this country or North how America, Chinese right. medicine, you know, yes, North American <laughs> So, you know, I mean, we've we've swip swapped herbs all over the world and broadened our knowledge and changed our formulas and and learned all kinds of things. So that would just be another. And it would just then jump. broaden our perspective of the plant sure. consciousness. It's just this would be this universal plant field of consciousness that expands out into the universe as we find these plants. That life, sounds pretty amazing. Uh, and other I life. Uh, you know, on these other planets. Sure. And I think, you know, I mean, plants definitely resonate and have a resonance with their area. I mean, there's plants that are endemic to only certain little pockets of the entire world, um, or the planet Earth world. And so, you know, that's got its own vibe. And then there's plants that you can find all over the Earth, and that has its own different vibe. So there may be plants that we find in other reaches of the galaxies 
that we actually have on Earth. Who knows? Maybe it's a different species of Arnica or dandelion or whatnot that's, you know, similar function, similar um, basic signature, but that's the Mars version or the, you know, Andromeda version, whatever. Right. And then there's plants that may be endemic to those places that will bring their own signature that will have something different to teach us. And then you start crossbreeding them and you get well, the hybrid, the Martian herbs, the Venusian herbs, the intergalactic herbs fused with our good old earth herbs right you know. well and if you talk about planets then uh, i mean that that's the whole that's there's the rabbit hole beginning <laughs> all right planets well and plants and we just want to say thank you so much for being here yet again your website is vitalforceherbs.com your name is Brittany anderson we're going to talk to you more and thank you so much i guess for being here yeah thank you so much for having me this was really fun all right well on that note i guess we're just going to say see you next episode all and right tell a friend.